Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone, from all of us here at the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I don't usually say everyone. I like to talk to everybody individually, but I know we have a large audience. So <laughs> hello and welcome to the Bottom Line Show. It is Thanksgiving Day. Uh, during this hour, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about some very special things that have to do with Thanksgiving. Um, in the second half hour, I'm going to get into a little biblical analysis of, you know, not only the history of Thanksgiving, just a brief one here in the U.S., but also just uh, why experiencing grace and expressing gratitude go hand in glove and how many more people, I think, in the body of Christ would literally be fruitful and multiply or more fruitful and multiply if we experience that. But first, though, just to kind of kick things off, this is kind of fun and a little self-indulgent uh, for me. I uh, came across an album recently by a, a local musician who is uh, in the Central Coast, and he's uh, a guy named Jonathan Fiery. And I, I like Jonathan's music. I love his attitude. I like his style. And I wanted to give him a chance to talk about it here. So let's get into part one of this conversation on the special Thanksgiving edition of The Bottom Line. Well, today here on The Bottom Line Show, joined by a special guest. It, it, I don't think we've ever promoted an instrumental album before, but I this one just really got me thinking. It got it touched my heart. It touched my spirit. Uh, Jonathan Fiery is with me today here on the bottom. Did I pronounce that correctly, Jonathan? Welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Yeah, you got it perfect. Thanks. Okay, great. Uh, Jonathan is a contemporary Christian music artist. He's a producer. He's a singer song. Well, not a singer songwriter necessarily. Do you consider yourself much of a singer, Jonathan? I know you're great with the instrumental stuff, but I mean, as far as I, just about everybody in the music industry can sing a little bit. But uh, I didn't want to give you. Uh, put too much pressure on you so people will expect you to start singing in anytime soon. No, that's fine. <laughs> I, I do sing. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a worship pastor in California, mm -hmm. but my first love was acoustic guitar, and, yeah. and I spent a life uh, in Nashville making instrumental music, mm -hmm. and I, it's just a huge passion of mine. Well, let's talk about this new album. The new album is Taste of the Valley. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com if you're looking for some great acoustic guitar music. And for our listeners in the Central Valley, uh, you know what we're talking about. For people in Northern California, you do too. If you've ever driven up the 101, uh, Southern California, you know where this is. If you're in Colorado, you're just going to have to play along at home and imagine what it's like. <laughs> um, but but this it, it's it kind of harkens back, Jonathan, to the the time I think about 40 years ago when I was getting into radio and all those instrumental albums. I can't remember the name of the uh, label that was so popular, but the George Winston collections and stuff like that that people were really really digging. And I know to find a Christian artist who's doing this type of stuff and knowing where the passion is, um, it, it's something that I think it's very helpful because that music really speaks to our soul, even though there aren't lyrics per se. It really is uh, reaching out. First of all, let's talk about how you got from Nashville to the San Inez Valley. And secondly, uh, why this album right now? Anyway, kind of give us a 30-second snapshot, if you will, of, of how you and your family wound up making your way west. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, we spent a long time in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a musician there and my wife and I were also worship pastors there. And we, we got in this phase of life where we had two little kids at home. Our, our girls are 10 months apart mm. and I was still touring. And we thought, you know, I think we need to change our pace of life and maybe find a, a more quiet, laid back place to, to, to put down our roots and grow our family. And so we had the opportunity to uh, take a worship pastor position uh, in San Inez, California, in the valley that I wrote the album about. And, and it was a much-needed appointment. We were really, really excited when it came along, and that's been almost seven years now that we've been out there. That must be a, a, a real a head-scratch for a lot of people, because when you think about the music industry on the whole, whether it's Christian country or whatever, uh, Nashville pretty much is Mecca ground zero. And the fact that you were willing to say, no, I think for us, 
we're going to move in a different direction. Uh, I'm sure there were some people who were saying, but Jonathan, are you nuts? I mean, why would you want to do something like this? Have you ha had you had been working in the uh, uh, in the pastoral world before in terms of being the worship leader at a, a church when you were in Nashville or was this kind of a new adventure as well? You know, my first like professional job playing guitar was for a worship leader named Dennis Jernigan. Oh, yeah. And um, he became a mentor of mine. And so I grew up playing in church, leading worship. And then I, I started to travel with Dennis as soon as I graduated high school doing worship. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also we did an artist in residency at a church in Nashville when we were living there. So leading worship and worship music was completely comfortable, something that I love to do. And so that was nothing out of the ordinary for us to do. I'm talking with Jonathan Fiery today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His brand-new album, Taste of the Valley, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Jonathan was a member of the group FFH, uh, which for many years was uh, kind of a staple, if you will, in contemporary Christian music circles. How did Far From Home come together, and what was the response like when you said, hey, you know what, it looks like, for, as for me and my house, we need to kind of put, pump the brakes, if you will, on the touring world? Yeah, you know, um, God, God's timing is interesting. And it just so happens that about the time FFH was ready to take a break, I mean, we had toured for a long time. And we were still putting out songs on the radio and still doing the whole thing. Uh, one of our singers in our band um, actually was diagnosed with MS. And mm. he came to us and said, look, I need, to, I need to take a break. We need to just kind of put this on hold for a little while. And um, it wasn't but just a few, well, a couple years after that, that our path kind of changed as well. So... You know, it unfolded in, in kind of, uh, you know, the right way, but it just so happens that FFH was taking a break, so we moved into kind of a new phase, and then that eventually led us to California. What, what do you like the most about California? We hear so many people who are making the opposite move that you and your family made, Jonathan, where it's like, get me out of California, get me to Nashville, get me to Memphis, get me to Franklin. Uh, what, was, yeah. what were some of the things that you and your family said, wow, this is so much better in California than it is in Tennessee? Well, you know, I will say that where we live is, is kind of like Mayberry. It's a small town, mm. uh, really laid back, really sweet people. Uh, it's a slower pace. So, you know, we're not in Los Angeles or San Francisco. So that definitely helps. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, you know, you're right. It, in, over the last couple of years, we've had so many friends leave California to go to Franklin or to Nashville or to, to head east. But, you know, honestly, it's just where we need to be for this season of our life. Uh, part of our story is my youngest daughter um, was diagnosed with autism a week after we moved to California, mm. uh, and that's that sort of kind of um, it, you know we were we were sort of happy to put away the music business for a little while and focus on her. So it sure. wasn't a very hard decision for us. Yeah, well, and it sounds like it's been a beneficial one too. What what is? Let's give a shout out to your church. I'm not quite sure if our NorCal uh, signals between KBRT and KCBC. Uh, actually hit Santa Inez, but uh, uh, give a shout out to your church and uh, and how that's working out for you guys. I mean, the, of course, the idea was to come here and have a slower pace and not be on the road, but it sounds like you're still doing some things every now and again when you're getting out and about. Yeah, you know, so I'm I'm a worship pastor at Valley Christian Fellowship in San Inez, California, and um, we we love it there. We have just a, a really tight knit body and community, and uh, really really honored to be a part of that. And, you know, I honestly, I don't have a desire to go back out on the road or, or tour or do anything like that again. This record just sort of kind of started to bubble up over the last couple of years. And 
I thought it would be neat to sort of put some music back out into the world and let people kind of know what I was up to. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's about as far as it's going to go. I don't really have much of a desire to hit the road again. Uh-huh. Well, and, and this is, it's funny because so, I mean, ironic, I guess to me is so much of the music that you have put on this, on this album, Taste of the Valley does sound like good driving music, especially through the, uh, the vineyards there of San Inez Valley. T take us through the process. I mean, it's not like you went from sometimes we'll hear the wow i was in the big city and then i went to the country and this is how it changed my life i mean you went from nashville to san Inez, so i mean it's not i don't want to say it's the same thing but i mean it's it's not a horribly uh, dissimilar circumstance what was the process like in terms of the songs were these kind of meditations you were having during quiet time or or how did god lead you to to put together the collection of songs that now is this new album yeah, you know, I, I have always been inspired through nature. Um, I really, I, I sort of connect with King David on that. Um, he spent a lot of time out playing his harp under the stars for God, and there, there's just a sweetness in those moments. And I grew up playing guitar in Oklahoma out under the stars in a field. So nature has always inspired me. And when you live in a beautiful place like we live in, in the valley, there's so much to see, so much to look at. We're 10 minutes from the ocean we're surrounded by mountains, uh, the vineyards. I mean, all of that beauty is just constantly swirling around. And it's for a guy like me, it's hard to not be inspired by that. Mm -hmm. And that's really where it started for me, just spending time driving around, uh, doing outdoor activities with my kids, um, you know, camping, hiking, swimming in the ocean. Those are the moments that started to inspire this album. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's a beauty, and uh, the Taste of the Valley album by Jonathan Fiery is up. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, hear a sample or two of some of the songs from that album coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You never know what little thing you can do for someone that can make a change in their life. Personal injury attorney Stephanie Culver has a servant's heart. She will do everything in her power to fully restore you to what your life was like before your injury using her 25 years of experience to fight for the fair value of your case. Stephanie puts others first and works tirelessly for her clients. Even when she can't help through representation, she does everything she can do to connect people with the help they need through spreading the word of God and sharing her community. Stephanie Cover is grateful for what she has and tries to give back however she can. She believes that as a Christian, you don't turn your back on anyone. Save her number or call now. 877-214-4935. 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. One of the fine instrumental selections from the brand new album by Jonathan Fiery. You just heard that today here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, Jonathan's new album, Taste of the Valley, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. In addition to a link uh, to jonathanfiery.com where you can find where you can find all the music on Spotify and all the different uh, places where you can actually find music these days. It's got to be tough, Jonathan. I mean, to, when you think about when we were coming up and, you know, if you could get your song played on the big station or get the interview on that big, you know, program or whatever, then that seemed to set people off. And now you've got all these different, you know, kind of splintered platforms that are everywhere. You kind of have to keep up on it. It seems like it would be a full-time job. How do you manage that? I mean, it sounds, it seems more like a faith-driven venture than anything else where you say, hey, I'm going to put it here and here and let God do the rest with it. That's exactly what it is. Um, you know, I, I was so fortunate that I got to do all the cool things I wanted to do in music. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I got to play the Grand Old Opry. I got to do the tours. I, I got to do so. There's nothing really left for me professionally that I'm trying to pursue or chase down. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's just fun. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I love creating music. I love sharing it with people. Um, but it's totally different releasing music now as opposed to you know a few years back. But it's it's a labor of love at this point, and I really still do enjoy it. And I think that's awesome. You know, we were talking during the break about the fact that instrumental music obviously is is not new to you. I mean, of course, uh, being a musician and a producer, and the fact that you've been able to do this, but this is not your first uh, this is not your first rodeo, if you will, in terms of releasing an album like this. Talk about some of the other projects you've done instrumentally that our listeners would uh, would really benefit from. Because I I, I got to admit, whenever I hear a new take on a familiar song, for example, it really does speak to my heart. It's not like, oh, great, there's that hymn again or there's that praise song again. And you've had some experience with that over the years as well, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. You know, I was uh, I got to meet a guy early on uh, named Phil Keggy, an instrumental guitarist, who uh, been, eventually became a, a dear friend and mentor to me. And um, so I just kind of followed his lead early mm. on and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love taking an old hymn and kind of putting a, a new spin on it. Um, I also do uh, Christmas music and holiday-themed music. And, you know, you can even go to my website, and uh, there are, are uh, links that will take you to all of that. It's readily available. I've got plenty of gospel music and hymns and all kinds of cool stuff, and it's all instrumental. It's already out there to be uh, listened to. You know, that, that I like how you kind of wove Phil Kagey's name in there. I mean, only state-of-the-art, one of the best, most prolific Christian guitarist in history. You know, no big deal, but uh, Phil became a friend. <laughs> how do, I, I can't let this go away. How did you meet Phil Kagey? And Because uh, I'm, I'm sure that I heard some Kagey influence in what you're doing. Of course, Phil was doing it with all those crazy, you know, pre-recorded, looping, what the hecks, you know, back in the day. Now it's probably a little easier, yeah. I'd imagine, to kind of uh, multi-track yourself. But uh, talk about what it was like to meet him. Was he a big influence? before you met him did he become a bigger one after yeah i grew up listening to his music and um i actually got to perform i had to play guitar in front of phil keggy when i was 22 oh, and no. it was terrifying <laughs> but we were at a festival uh-huh. and uh, he his band played one night we played the next night and you know i actually got to go to dinner after his concert he invited me to go to dinner and um buck and annie herring from second chapter of acts were there matthew oh. ward Man. Barry McGuire, these huge legends and pioneers that I grew up listening to and admiring, mm-hmm. I got to go to dinner with them. And that was the night that I got to get, you know, visit with Phil and get to know him. And we just stayed friends and kind of built our relationship on that. Wow. Talk about Mount Rushmore. My goodness. I mean, <laughs> the the people that God led you to, to be around. And yet I, I it's nice to see um, oftentimes we kind of think in terms of Christian music anyway, as it, it, it has a sort of, I, I don't know how else to describe this, I'll just say kind of a cannibalistic type of nature in terms of uh, it, it kind of reinvents itself often and doesn't really pay homage to you know what, what had gone before. And the fact that you're grounded in that, Jonathan Fiery, I think is so encouraging because not only does it help on the contemporary side, but also on the classics too with regard to hymns and things of that nature. Talk about why it's so important to... To get past the either-or argument that we see so much in church, well, it has to be either traditional hymns or it, it has to be contemporary music. And, and you seem to kind of walk down the middle of that and saying, why can't we do both? Why can't be a both and? Yeah, you know, we've been having that argument for many, many years in church, especially. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for all of that. Um, you know, I, I see the history and the value of the pioneers of the Jesus movement and 
where it all started, where it all came from. But then I also spent time touring and and producing records for some of the more modern uh, contemporary artists. So I think knowing them as people definitely helps. I know their hearts. I know their intents. Um, but I think there's absolutely room for both. I think we should be able to honor the old and the, the, the traditional and the hymns and make that part of what we do now. But we should also embrace and open ourselves up to the newer music that's coming along. I truly believe there's a place for all of it. Yeah, let's talk about this uh, album again. Jonathan Fiery with me today here on the bottom line. Uh, a renaissance man, if there ever was one. Um, the I, brand new album is <laughs> called Taste of the Valley. Well, I, and I, I, I appreciate that, Jonathan. I mean, the fact that you've got the CCM pedigree, you've done the touring, and now you found yourself in a position of being a worship leader, you know, because basically you said, I want to put my family first. I want to, you know, what was it like at the church? You know, I mean, was there any kind of preconceived notion, oh, here comes this big star from Nashville who's coming in to take over? Or was it, did God give you a little bit of space to say, hey, I'm just John, this is my family, this is what I'm called to do, this is a new season of life for me? Yeah, you know, I, I don't talk, you kind of have to pull these stories out of me, or for the sake of an interview, I, I'm happy to talk about that. But when we moved to San Inez Valley, they just loved us for us. Uh, they didn't really care that I had done this and that. Um, they just wanted to get to know us and embrace us. And they actually, they, they showed us a true example of, of Christ and just accepting, bringing us in, loving us, helping us through. Um, and so, yeah, unless you, you know, I'm asked specifically or it's brought up, I really, I don't get into a whole lot of, of the old stuff, my old life, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and, and it's, it's probably, you know, uh, new wine and new wineskins. I mean, if I may, and that's part of what you're seeing in this brand new album called uh, "Taste of the Valley." Uh, pun intended, I guess. I didn't realize until after I just used that scripture verse that it was talking about not only uh, what Jesus is the words of, but also the fact too that there's a lot of winery, a lot of vineyard activity where you are. Um, what are, do you have a favorite song off this new record? I mean, I'm partial to San Marcos Pass because, as we discussed, that was a road that I traveled many. Many a Saturday morning and Sunday night on my uh, during my early radio days, but uh, is there one that in particular that really stand, stands out for you, Jonathan Fiery? Yeah, you know, I I have two that are I think are probably my favorite. Uh, the title track "Taste of the Valley." I, I just I want people to listen to that song and it can maybe even get a feel for the valley, even if they've never visited there. Mm -hmm. um, I like the idea of them experiencing a place, or maybe even wanting to go experience after hearing the music. And then I have a song called Roots and Wings that I wrote for my daughters. Mm. And my wife and I, our, our whole lives, um, we, we want our girls, the focus with our girls is we want them to dream and to spread their wings and to fly and to take risks and to try. But we also want them to stay grounded. Yeah. And that's what that song Roots and Wings is all about. So um, that's kind of a toss up between those two, I think. Mm -hmm. well, I, and I realized, too, that is kind of like saying, you know, which one's your favorite child? And that's, you know, that's that's not a fair question to ask. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Jonathan Fiery has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line, F-I-R-E-Y, if you're Googling along with us at home. We've got a link for his website, jonathanfiery.com, up at thebottomlineshow.com, where you'll find all of his musical uh, offerings. The newest one is called Taste of the Valley. It's an homage to his new home. I, I wanted to say your new adopted home, but it sounds like it's it's more than that for you and your family in the Santa Inez Valley. And for our bottom line listeners who are there, you're really going to love this uh, this album. I, I guarantee it. Jonathan, great to get to know you. Thank you for the time you put into this record and also for spending time with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Well, hey, Roger, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 
Well, what a great conversation. Jonathan Fiery has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line, uh, formerly with a group called FFH, which stands for Far From Home. And uh, we've got a link for his YouTube channel up at thebottomlineshow.com, and you can learn more about Jonathan's music, his ministry, and uh, if you are in the Central uh, Coast area, you can find his church as well. Hey, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about music and thankfulness and kind of where we are as a nation and where we are as a church and how it's, it's usually it's not every day you find people from California who jump all over the country to find a relief it's not every day you find somebody from the southeast who says yeah I came to California to get away from all that stuff uh, but Jonathan reminds us of something that's a very very important principle for all of us here in the body of Christ and I want to talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive 6% CD alternative This unique real estate-backed investment has continued to perform exceptionally well in good times and in bad. I just reviewed a client file, and it really felt bad because in reviewing the file, I realized that if they had followed the advice they had received, if they had put the money in the CD alternative, as I had recommended, they would have earned enough to build a church in Africa. Instead, the money is still in the bank, earning nothing but dust. I realized how important it is to know it's God's money and we're just a good steward of it. One simple idea on the CD alternative would build a church in Africa. Honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Hope you enjoyed that uh, little musical segment there. Jonathan Fiery, a local musician, formerly with the band, contemporary Christian band, FFH. He's now a worship leader in the Central Coast. And um, we've got a link for his website up at thebottomlineshow.com if you want to enjoy some more of that music. You know, it, it's it's taken, I'm a very task-oriented type A type of guy. One of the things that I appreciate about the position here at the Bottom Line Show, and and you pick up on it, is the fact that I like to do research. Uh, my wife refers to my smartphone as my girlfriend. Uh, she says sometimes, you know, she's stepping out on me with that phone again. I'm like, I, and I know that's that's not uh, a, a thing to joke about. But I do spend a lot of time with data and information and things like that. And then when it's time for sermons, you get a chance to do some studying and exegesising and, you know, that type of thing. But I also grew up in a musical family. And you heard me say to Jonathan that when I started my broadcasting career, Back on July the 7th, 1983, uh, I did so in San Luis Obispo, California. And one of the songs that Jonathan has on this record is an ode, an homage, if you will, to the San Marcos Pass. And the San Marcos Pass is a quick little cutoff. Typically, I would take, I would come from the area, San Luis Obispo is kind of near the Madonna Inn, if you're familiar with that area. And I would get my Toyota Corolla hatchback that had no power, but it looked really fast. Matter of fact, I remember an insurance agent telling me that they were going to charge me more for my auto insurance because my car looked fast. Had the same boring four-cylinder Toyota engine, but it had mag wheels, you know, and raised white letter tires. So anyway, you know, I was 21. What do you want, right? But I, I, every other weekend, I would I was up in San Luis Obispo. I worked overnights at K, KIQO in Atascadero, where the only two things are up there are the men's colony, which is a prison, and the mental hospital. So... Um, it's a lot more developed now, but it was kind of wine country, kind of ag country. And so I would go up on Sunday afternoon and I'd work the 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift. And then I'd work that shift six days in a row. And then every other Saturday, I'd get off the air at six, get in my car. And because of speed limit and downwinds, I could actually get to my home, my parents' home in Orange uh, in about three and a half hours. 
after stopping for a Dr. Pepper and a donut. And then I was up for like a day and a half. I don't remember sleeping all that much. I saw friends. I went to church. I just, I kept going. And then the big sleeping day was after Monday's show because I was exhausted. But I used to, I discovered one day just on a whim, the San Marcos Pass. And I remember driving that road. That became my cutoff. It saved maybe 10 minutes. It really wasn't that big of a savings. But it was just beautiful. It was peaceful. And I used to spend time in prayer, literally. I mean, not closing my eyes and praying and crashing on the car. But just relaxing and letting the, the the drive just be blessed and imagine what it must be like to, on those Saturday mornings, I'd get through there around 7 o'clock and what it was like to just be waking up, you know, and it was just, it was, it was gorgeous. And for a city kid like me to have that kind of country experience, it was really uh, something beautiful and something gorgeous. I learned a valuable lesson about experiencing God's grace and then expressing gratitude to him for that grace. And I can't tell you how many times I mean I, I worked that job for about nine months how many times I made that trek and it just made the drive that much easier knowing that I was going through this beautiful terrain for as difficult as working those long hours were and making 350 and four bucks an hour and sleeping on a cot in one of my friend's apartments just to try to make it work and how Wonderful it was, though, to be able to give thanks to God that I had this job, that I was starting on this career, that I heard his voice and responded to his call. And here we are 40 years later, and I still get the privilege of doing it. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to you uh, as who listen every day to The Bottom Line Show and, and, and to who reach out and let us know what you think of the program. I, I'm grateful for people who benefit from our advertisers, uh, our sponsors, Dennis Wilson. Uh, I think of the folks at Preborn, Stephanie Cover. Um, we, we are just blessed to have people who understand the mission. They've responded to the call. Dennis didn't start advertising on the bottom line show because he thought he was going to get results. He did it out of an act of obedience. God said, go sponsor that show for a year. And he did it. And he's benefited mightily from that. Stephanie stayed with us too through thick and thin. You know, it's not every day somebody calls up and says, I got into an accident. I need a personal injury attorney. Um, but she and Jim did it as an act of obedience. The folks at Preborn came our way as an act of obedience. And I'm here as an act of obedience to God as well. And I'm grateful that you tune in and that you find this beneficial. My prayer is that this Thanksgiving, that you will experience the grace of God and that you will express that gratitude to him. And then you'll expect growth in your life. As a matter of fact, I will take a quick break here. We're going to join up with the rest of the network. And I want to dive into that a little bit more on the other side of this break. We'll get a little pastoral. Well, sure, we'll talk a little bit about the U.S. history of Thanksgiving, but I want to get into the uh, the nuts and bolts of it as well, because I, I hope you'll find it beneficial, especially as we look at a, one of the stories that Jesus told in Scripture that doesn't really come to mind when you think about Thanksgiving dinner, we don't think about skin diseases, but this one I think has a direct correlation. So let's get into this on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to this special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Thanksgiving from our family to yours and so grateful that you're along for the ride today. During the next half hour, we're going to take a look at some of the traditions of Thanksgiving, how we got to where we are, why we celebrate the holiday in the first place, why some people don't celebrate the holiday. And also, I just want to take a look at a couple of biblical reflections on thankfulness, gratitude, thanksgiving, and why that really should be, I believe, the attitude that every Christian has, regardless of whether or not your candidate won, whether or not you're having a big meal this year or no meal at all. Um, 
and and the attitude of gratitude because it really is the essence of who we are as Christians. Now, Thanksgiving holiday is traditionally celebrated. You know the story. The fourth Thursday of the month of November. Uh, it coincides with the fact, ironically, uh, back in 1621, this is a time when the colonists at Plymouth and the Wampanoag Indians, Native Americans, shared an autumn harvest feast. Uh, many people recognize this as the first Thanksgiving celebration. Now, what's interesting about this is if you start American history at that point, or when the pilgrims come over in the Mayflower, blah, 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 or you know Columbus, or wherever, you, wherever your starting point is, remember that the starting point for all nations and all peoples is God created the heavens and the earth. And from there, there were populations and there were people groups that lived in certain areas and certain people got to certain places. And one of the questions that has always kind of intrigued me about the United States and our founding is we'll take a story like Thanksgiving and say, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the, the American experiment has succeeded in part, large part, because of our dependence on God and God's hand of providence. But we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that we entered into the North American uh, sphere, if you will, while somebody else is already here, <laughs> you know, and you, you have to, you can't really separate the two. Sometimes we just run past the fact that the colonists in 1621 were hanging out with one group of Native Americans and they had a harvest feast uh, that was kind of a celebration. But, you know, there have been, there have been Thanksgiving days that have been celebrated, days of Thanksgiving. George Washington celebrated several of them, called for National Days of Prayer, Humiliation, and Thanksgiving. But the idea of having a Thanksgiving Day to be celebrated each November really did not become an issue until 1863. And that's when President Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day to be held that November and every November thereon uh, because of the fact that it was taking place right in the middle of a time when the United States was just really being torn apart by the Civil War. Um, September 1620, that's when the Mayflower left Plymouth, England, 102 passengers, and the, most of these people were, were religious separatists. They didn't like the, the, the Church of England. They'd seen what the Reformation had done 100 years earlier, or, and they wanted to, they, they thought, okay, there's this new world. You know, we can have land ownership, et cetera, et cetera. Two months after fighting treacherous and uncomfortable waters, they landed near Cape Cod, uh, a month later than the Mayflower shows up in Massachusetts Bay, and the Pilgrims uh, basically started their, their voyage in, in Plymouth. And from there, you know, it's interesting because <laughs> we think about the original Thanksgiving celebration, and oftentimes what do we have? Turkey, right? Well, how about lobster? Yeah, I mean, well, let's face it, you're in Massachusetts, right? So what's on the menu? How about sea stuff? Lobster, seal, there were swans that were served <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I mean, only half of the original passengers ever even lived to see that first spring. As more settlers started to show up, you know, there's different stories as to how this actually came about in terms of who was there and, you know, who got to stay and who didn't. Um, Thanksgiving began as a regular holiday uh, back in New York in 1817, uh, but many states were doing so on different days. And it wasn't until um, the uh, writer by the name of Sarah Josepha Hale uh, who launched a, uh, this is, this is the woman who was so prolific. She's the one who, who wrote the nursery rhyme, Mary had a little lamb. Anyway, she launched a campaign to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday every year for 36 years. She published editorials and sent letters to governors, senators, et cetera, et cetera. She earned the nickname mother of Thanksgiving. Abraham Lincoln codified it into law in 1863. So there you go. That's why we are celebrating today. 
that's why so many people have a uh, you know that opinion of it. And if you just look at Thanksgiving as Turkey Day, as many people call it, then you have a lot of turkey. You know, yeah. I wonder though. It's interesting when you look at what Scripture has to say about gratitude, and you think about the nature of you know giving thanks. You have to ask the question. What is it about giving thanks that really carries any sort of weight, any sort of merit? I mean, it's one thing if someone does something nice for somebody else and you say, oh, thank you. That was very kind of you. It was very thoughtful of you. But in God's economy, it takes on a whole different meaning because when you get right down to it, we don't just say thank you to God for being so good. We say thank you to God for his grace and his mercy and his compassion that has actually forgiven us all of our sins. I mean, think about this for just a moment. The essence of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is one of us being sinner or debtor and God being the sovereign and us wanting to establish or in this case reestablish relationship with him and so in order to do that we need a mediator we need someone who would be in uh, a go-between if you will someone who would would take the place for us and that's Jesus Christ the only God deals in blood sacrifices this goes back to the Garden of Eden you'll recall that when Adam and Eve sinned and they've sewed the fig leaves together and tried to make clothing that would cover up their privates that they didn't know were unexposable or shouldn't have been exposed until they had the knowledge of the difference between good and evil. And God killed an animal, took the skin, made a covering for them, in other words, made clothing, and then said, get out. So, I mean, God's covenant is blood. The only way you could pay the penalty for your sin is with blood. And your blood and my blood ain't going to do it. It has to be the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting when you think about gratitude, you really can't experience or express gratitude, true gratitude, unless you've really experienced grace. It's very interesting. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 4. May I read this uh, with you? If you have a copy of the Bible handy, obviously if you're driving somewhere, you know, just let me read it for you. But if you do have a Bible handy or on your phone, I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, Paul did have a bit of a whiny streak sometimes. If he didn't get support from the brethren or sister in in a certain area, he'd let him know about it. This is one of those cases where he's telling the church of Philippi, hey, you, you aren't helping me enough. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty because he's been in prison for his faith, but he also was a Pharisee who had all the perks and spoils of that job. Uh, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, he writes in verse 12, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, and I could do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, if you pronounce it that way, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus, excuse me, the gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4. That's how he ends that chapter and ends that letter. 
Now, it's interesting when you talk about grace and gratitude, there is one place in Scripture where we see a classic case of people who experience grace and then don't express gratitude. It's the parable of the ten lepers, and I know that's not something you typically talk about on Thanksgiving, but on the other side of this break, I want to break this down for you, do an analysis, balance, and clarity part of this, because I think in seeing the way they were crying out for healing, receiving healing, and then how they responded to it, we can kind of see our own lives as well. Let's talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. When's the last time you got such tremendous value out of spending $1 every day on something that was very, very important? You know, when you make a donation of $28 to Preborn on a regular basis, $28 every month, that's less than a dollar a day, and that $28 practically guarantees that you're going to save a baby's life physically and also spiritually. Roger Barsh here for Preborn, the outstanding pro-life health centers that I am recommending you make a donation to, especially here at the end of the year. 833-850-BABY is the number to call or go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com and click on the Preborn banner. 100% of what you donate to Preborn today goes directly to providing ultrasounds. They do separate fundraising for overhead and administrative costs, so 100% of what you give today goes to saving babies. And you know what? (laughs) The beautiful thing is what is raised here stays here as well. I want to challenge you here. How many children do you have? How many grandchildren do you have? Lisa and I have six children and four grandchildren. We have donated to save 10 babies on a couple of different occasions to preborn. It's $28 saves one baby. It's $140 saves five babies. It's 280 that saves 10. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio or rogervarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner today. Welcome back to this Thanksgiving edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're taking a look at the benefits of experiencing gratitude, or experiencing grace, rather, and expressing gratitude, and the two are not mutually exclusive. In Luke chapter 17, you've seen this. This is the NIV uh, translation. Verses 11 through 19 is what is called the parable of the ten lepers. Uh, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border. It's not really a parable. I mean, it actually happened, but... Uh, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to them, rise, and said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, in Jesus' day, the the image here of a leper, or not let alone ten, coming to him is pretty dramatic because leprosy, of course, was thought to be virtually incurable. You had the physical issue, the scales on the skin. If I touch somebody with my skin, it might spread with the infection. I don't want that to happen. I mean, when you get right down to it, lepers really were among the most pitiful members of society because not only were they physically unclean, but then you get into the whole Jewish law and they're ceremonially unclean. I mean, look at the Old Testament stories 
where you you see case after case after case. Somebody here, you know, all the different laws, all the regulations. If you're unclean, if you're having a menstrual cycle, if you have an emission, blah blah blah. They're, they they were obsessed with cleanliness. As a matter of fact, that was one of the things that uh, the disciples uh, ex- encountered from the Pharisees when they went after Jesus. Your disciples didn't wash their hands before meals. They were really kind of obsessed with this whole cleanliness thing. And if you were a leper, I mean, you're kind of stuck. I mean, you watch television now, and they got all these different medications and creams and pills and stuff for acne and eczema and whatever. But if you're a leper, you're kind of hosed. But you know, it's interesting because when you think about what Jesus did for these lepers, he didn't touch them. He didn't spit on the ground and put mud on their eye and all that other stuff. They literally said, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. And what he said was, you go show the priests what I did for you. Now, there's a big difference there. Can you imagine having a physical challenge? You see Jesus, you know he can heal you. You may have even seen him put his hands on somebody's eyes or you know, touch someone's head or you know, where, where, wherever the bleeding was or the injury was. He physically healed them. But in this case, they say, Master, have pity on us. And he says, go show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't hug him. He doesn't shake hands with him. He doesn't say, let's form a big group huddle. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. All 10 of them go, which is a miracle. Because when you think about it, at least one of them was going to go, I'm not going. I'm not healed. Look at my skin. I've got leprosy. I asked you to heal me. You didn't heal me. Instead, their faith is so strong. All of them that when he says, go show the priests, they all go. And as they are walking toward the priests, as they are moving in obedience to what God has told them to do, there's a whole sermon right there, isn't there? (laughs) How many times has God spoken to you this week, this month, this year, with something that he wanted you to do? Not something that you cooked up in your own heart and you said, God, I want you to bless this because I know you want me to do this. It takes a lot of discernment. It takes a lot of spiritual wisdom and discipline to be able to know when God wants you to do something. And sometimes if you hear what God wants you to do and you don't act on it, God sends people into your life, like my wife. I mean, like people that were very close to us who could say, uh, are you sure? That, I mean, didn't God tell you? Because you haven't. And Or why are you doing this? Because God told you to do that. The message here is very clear. The leper's plea was very simple. Have pity on us. Everybody else does. They say they feel sorry for us, but real pity would be, can you do something for us? And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And they instantaneously, something happens in their heart that says, okay, if I go show myself to the priest, by the time I get to see the priest, I'm going to be healed. And sure enough, all 10 were cleansed as they went. But only one man comes back and gives thanks to God. And Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I have a feeling, I'm not going to read too much into the text here, but Jesus had that message for every one of them. But notice the completely well. Maybe the leprosy was healed, but there are other sins that need to be forgiven in their lives. These guys were told, if you go show the priests, your leprosy will be healed. But look at what Jesus says to the the 10th leper who comes back. He says, has no one returned? And of course, he's always always holding up the Samaritan part to the Pharisees, almost kind of rubbed their nose in it. Look, 
the gospel is for everyone who has ears to hear, not just for the Jew. It's for the Jew first, then the Gentile, then the Samaritan, but everyone is going to be part of this big mix. And when he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well, the implication here is that this man is fully and completely healed on the inside out, not just of the leprosy on his skin. Notice that it was in expressing thanks after experiencing grace that this man was made completely whole. And I wonder how many of us, as we talk about today being Thanksgiving Day, are really, really going to take that to heart. How many of us are going to romp on through the meal, watch a couple of football games, get the Christmas decorations out and go, I don't know what to be thankful for. Mutter, mutter, mutter. When God has healing for you, God has deliverance for you, God has a breakthrough for you. I sound like a Pentecostal guy now, but seriously. And yet, the key isn't so much that we came to God and asked for the healing, that we asked for the mercy. It's that the thanksgiving comes. Lord, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your pity. Thank you for your mercy. We need Thanksgiving in our lives. Not just one day on the fourth Thursday of November. We need Thanksgiving all the time. Why? First, there's a couple reasons why. And there's a nice alliteration here that goes along with this. First, to experience grace, as I just mentioned. Literally, when these guys call out, they're they're calling out that the pity call is Ipostatis Elieo, which translates literally, teacher, be greatly concerned about us because we are in need. This is typically someone who is poor and destitute. These guys have the need to be healed from their leprosy. But when you get right down to it, all of us as sinners apart from Christ need that. That's the cry. We need to experience grace. We are crying out from our souls. Epistatis elieo, literally, be greatly concerned about me because I am in need. And then we express gratitude. Have you ever known someone who had a reason to be grateful to somebody that maybe they didn't feel like expressing gratitude to and they never did? And how it kind of eats them alive. The person who has a reason to say, I want to thank this guy for giving me this opportunity to get this job and doesn't do that. His whole rest of his career, it's like, oh yeah, I did this on my own, I did this on my own, but he knows deep down inside, no, somebody gave me a huge boost to get this position. I should be grateful. Psychologists show that suppressing gratitude can actually be as toxic to a human soul as suppressing anger. If you have gratitude to show to someone, it is healthy to show. Literally, Jesus does this in the way he heals these guys. He could have very easily said, you know, some prayer, some whatever. He could have said alakazam if he wanted to, not that he would. And their their leprosy would have been gone. But instead, he's creative, because I love the way God does this. The lepers say, please help us, we're in desperate need. He says, go show the priests that you're made well. So they go, and they get the healing on the way, which provides a perfect opportunity for them to then run back and go, you'll never guess what happened. And of course, they'll say, well, of course I did. I mean, I made it happen. As we were on our way to the priest, the leprosy's gone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he could say, now your sins are forgiven. You've been made whole. It's kind of like, you know, this will happen a lot if they still get postcards in the mail. Uh, or, hey, you, you got good grades. Isn't this exciting? 
hey, your grandma helped you with your you know, studies and this, that, the other thing. Go show grandma your report card. Show her what you did. And then third, and finally, and this is really key, in, a in addition to experiencing grace and expressing gratitude, how about expecting growth? I quote Max Lucado all the time, but it's especially germane for this topic. One time I remember him saying, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. A lot of Christians think, hey, you just show up to God, you'd be sinful and weird and you know, deceptive and stuff like that. And God loves you, baby. You don't have to change. No, God loves you in that state to say, come unto me. Follow me, leave your old life behind, and I will make you better. The hallmark of God's creation is that he created what was good, tov, in the Old Testament, and intended it to be fruitful and to multiply. And that's not just an issue with regard to um, having kids or doing well in your job. It literally, gratitude helps play a role in that. Okay. But sometimes, though, when we're in a bad situation, we're in a tough situation, and we realize that we have experienced grace, we should be expressing gratitude, but what we want to do is just have a pity party. The lepers could have sat around and said, ah, I don't believe that guy. We wanted him to heal us, and he didn't heal us. We're just going to sit here and sulk. How do you avoid that pity party in your faith in Christ so that you can really express gratitude after you experience grace. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Bless your children with the help you've always wanted to give them. Newport Bay Mortgage works with your unique circumstances to explain the benefits of a reverse mortgage in today's market. Act now and provide for your family in need by gifting them a fraction of the fruits of your labor. With Newport Bay Mortgage, you can clarify the advantages of a reverse mortgage in your specific situation with professional insights on the current market. Sharing the rewards of a reverse mortgage is a valuable act of service that helps your loved ones establish valuable financial security for the future. Use the gift from your home to contribute towards God's work and plans by blessing your family in need with real financial help. Make up your mind today to make a difference in the lives of those who mean the most to you. Start by calling Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080. 714-741-8080. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse or NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Welcome back to this Thanksgiving edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about experiencing grace and expressing gratitude, kind of a look at the parable of the 10 lepers, which I know is not something you typically talk about at Thanksgiving dinner, but thank you for bearing with me on this. You know, in, in our our readings today that we've looked at uh, Philippians chapter four, where Paul talks about all things through Christ who strengthens him and, and Luke chapter 17. It, it's so interesting that there are so many people who are missing out on experiencing God's grace and experiencing healing and blessing because they won't express gratitude. Instead, if you don't express gratitude, you invariably wind up having a pity party because you may not get the whole healing that you want. Four tips for avoiding that pity party, and hopefully your Thanksgiving dinner hasn't turned into a, into a pity party right now. First, remember his generous provision for you. In Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament, chapter 8, verse 18, we read, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. And that's the old covenant, of course, that the children of Israel were under. God is the one who provides. You hear Dennis Wilson talk about this all the time, Wilson Financial. Someone comes into his office and wants to talk about investments or strategies. One of the first questions Dennis asks is, whose money is it? 
And he said, I can tell the people who say it's all God's money, we can work together and they are fruitful and they multiply. The people who say, well, it's my money, I worked hard for it, it never works out for them. So uh, remember God's, his generous provision first. Secondly, rejoice with great pleasure. When Paul talks about the Philippians meeting his financial needs, he said, look, I rejoice greatly. This is Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Instead of saying, it's about time you gave me some money, when the gift comes, when the provision comes, thank them, express that gratitude. Third, return to God and give praise. Remember when Jesus says, we're not all 10 cleansed, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except the Samaritan, this foreigner? When you receive that blessing, if you want to fully experience the gratitude and the joy and the grace of God, we have to thank him. We can look at the history of our nation and say, wait a minute, the pilgrims just kind of dropped in on Native Americans that had a 500-year head start, and there was bloodshed and savagery and warfare. And Why are we celebrating this day as a day of thanksgiving to God? Mankind has been inhumane to mankind since the beginning of mankind. We can't get too hung up on the who was here first and who knocked everybody over and what did the Spanish do and whatever if we're going to look at God's provision and say, look, the establishment of God's kingdom here, the church, regardless of the government, that's where we're going to have that rejoice with great pleasure and rejoice and return and give praise. And then finally, rise and go produce. In Luke 17, verse 19, Jesus said to the leper who returned, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And now that you are well and cleansed, not only from your leprosy, but also your iniquity, you can be fruitful and multiply in God's economy. So our exhortation today is to look at the world around us, to look at our families, to look at our individual situations and to give thanks. Not just to look at something and say, well, that isn't very good, but I guess I'll give thanks anyway. No, truly give thanks for the fact that you're a sinner, who was condemned to die apart from Christ, but for the blood of Christ and the grace of God, and now you have salvation. That's reason enough to return and give thanks for his generous provision, to rejoice with great pleasure that you are saved and alive and moving forward, to give praise to God for that, but then to rise and go produce, go and bear fruit. The gifts that God has given you, the assignments that he's called you to, you're not doing that to try to earn your way into heaven. You're doing it as a response to the goodness that God has given you. I pray that this Thanksgiving Day is the most special ever for you and your family. Not because we dwell too much on American history or criminal injustice or bad politics or whatever, but because you remember the real reason that we give thanks in the first place, and that is thanks be to God for the glorious gift of salvation he gives us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. For our KCBC audience, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Thanksgiving day. And of course, Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, Thanksgiving Day Edition, coming up next as the bottom line continues.